Before I start, thank you for listening. This is the Ignition Podcast. Get ready to fuel your passion for cars and motorsport every Monday and Thursday. We bring you stories, valuable career tips and tricks that will help you navigate the automotive world. So don't miss out. Follow the Ignition Podcast now and join the drive towards becoming the number one automotive podcast worldwide. Let's embark on this thrilling journey together. Enjoy the episode. F1 is the ultimate goal, the pinnacle of motorsport. To work in F1, you need to be the best of the best. And if you ask me what it looks like, I wouldn't have a clue. Mark, on the other hand, has been there, done it. Not only did he work for the likes of Lotus, he also went on and worked with Le Mans cars. He is no stranger to making it as one of the best race mechanics out there. And now, he's helping guide the newest generation of race mechanics for Alpine's F1 team. How does that work? What does it look like? Well, listen to the end, and you won't just find out how Mark helps those people, but also what the map to get there yourself looks like. I think some, some, sometimes we forget that even the junior teams um, have had people come from F1 or sports cars and back into the junior teams. Don't underestimate the smaller teams and <clears throat> getting that experience on that side and working your way up from, from club sport and things like that. And in any team environment, you know, a big part of it is getting on with the team and the personalities and dealing with the pressure as well. Um, because there is no doubt that, you know, when you get up into an F1 race, there's a lot of pressure. If you make a mistake, you're in front of X amount of million viewers. Love the challenge of when you used to get, you know, going back to the historic days, we used to have cars turn up in a series of boxes and a chassis and like, right, put that together, I'd like to run that so later this year. Yeah, just keep going. We all we all got here one way or another. <laughs> There's no, there is no set path to take. Just take your own path, enjoy it, and just keep focused on the end goal. If I was to say to you the words race day, what comes to mind? Race day is, uh, it's, it's like nothing else. The, the adrenaline, the buzz, the atmosphere, the crowd, it's the whole event as a, yeah, everything about it um, is just on form. From the moment you arrive at the circuit and you, you see the fans and everyone crowding around and waiting and waving to you and, yeah, um, there's nothing else quite like it, to be honest. It, it, you've got the obviously the work side and, um, you know, and, the timings and everything's really busy and you know there's a lot going on but yeah just the general atmosphere and buzz of the build-up to the race and when you're on the grid and getting ready to start and you've got the countdown coming in your ear and people are counting down the seconds as everything happens yeah, it's something else really <laughs> no no i know watching it especially looks on you know tv you know you, you don't get to see all of it so you don't it's all it's all sort of like nuanced but I'm, you've been doing this for quite a while, if you don't mind my, my, my saying. <laughs> that has been uh, 20 odd years. <laughs> I, I'm just very interested in how it's changed over time. So like from when you first started to now, what was been the, the, what was race day change? You know, has it got longer, shorter? Has it got more intense, more relaxed for you? What, what has it been like? I, th- I think the biggest changes now is with the curfews that they've, they've put in. When I was racing, there was, there was no curfew. So there was no time to, no uh, set time to leave the circuit or arrive. So you could, you could be there as long as you needed to be, which, you know, if that meant only having a couple of hours in the hotel to get your head down and, you know, get some sleep and then straight back to the circuit, that was that was how it was. So from that side, the, the curfews have worked really well. However, you've still got the same amount of work to get done within the curfew. So now the work rate is, is a lot higher, a lot busier, and, you know, you're flat out from the moment you get to the circuit to the moment you leave. But you do get that downtime. So in that side of it's... I think work for the mechanics and um, you know and 
just general generally being away from the circuit for i think it's eight hours at the moment you know that you get away from the circuit um to have a bit of downtime and you know get a proper night's sleep and things like that but also the amount of races when i was racing it was 18 19 races they they, they keep the calendar keeps growing um time now from late late february really when everything starts to go away all the freight and things like that to really beginning of december you know the time you get back and it is the whole year so you know that's definitely different the time time frame we used to have we used to finish in or well, late october i think it was you know early november um and then have that proper christmas break but by the time the guys get back now they have they have a, a full month off they have december off summer january come back into it straight into testing and, and back on it again build the new cars and go again so uh yeah it, it's changed I mean, everybody you know whenever you're in motorsport you always hear why well, in my day it was harder because we did this but i think every generation as it goes through has their own um yeah has their own issues and problems and, and time away um as we were saying earlier about the the shutdown you know having those two weeks to just completely switch off i think is is really crucial for everybody mm. um yeah it, it's well needed the calendar's full on nowadays and for people listening, Mark, what is it? What is it you, you do? You do now? And what is the you know the glorified title that you've been bestowed upon? And what what do you do? <laughs> so I'm the chief mechanic on the race support team uh, for Alpine F1. Um, basically, we we look after the academy drivers, uh, the test days. Uh, you know, for example, Jack Doohan, third driver, we prep him ready for if he's needed. You know, um, as a, the spare driver, we also deal with uh, marketing events um you know and anything that they want to do promotional events things like that but also the, the team as a whole uh the race support team we used to train up the next generation of mechanics um electricians composites garage technicians it's a really good place for them to to start to get a feel for what's needed at the circuit um before they're actually thrown into a race weekend and and do it for real mm. so it's a training ground for um for all the staff and for the young drivers and academy drivers coming in and get that opportunity for some of them the first time in the car make that step up and, and get start to get a feel for what's involved in in actually driving their phone car it's great because it's like a, almost like a, it's like a springboard isn't it it gives you all the tools and and sort of the knowledge and how to how to you know, right with the f1 cars and stuff how how to get them going and you know like you say the composites behind them yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, from the outside, you look at it and think, okay, well, it's just driving a lap. But there's, there's so much more involved in for the drivers to do from that point, um, whether it's the sim work uh, and, the, and the preparation before they actually get in the car or whether at the circuit, um, you know, going through. So, for example, sometimes we might do a simulated race weekend um, where they have a lot of procedures to follow. So the engineer will be getting to fail sensors on the car it's to safety car lap times you know getting used to warming the tires up how the best maybe a um, fast so fast uh, sequence on the tires or you know how, seeing how they can get the best out of them within a long run within a short run within a qualifying set so they, you know there's the whole battery side as well with learning how to use the recharge use the deployment when's the best to use it how it changes there's all these aspects as well as driving and setting a lap time all there but for also all the guys as well there's not really because there's not testing anymore um from a staff point of view to be thrown into a race weekend straight away um it's quite intimidating you know you've got a team that works plays together it all together all the time 
and to come into that environment and have the pressure of a race weekend and hit your marks and excuse me um you know perform as you need to be at the circuit it can be quite intimidating if you've never been there before so we we give them the chance to get used to all the procedures um you know all, all the software we use how everything works timings and things like that before they get thrown into a a race weekend to do it for real you know and we've had quite quite a lot of guys and, and girls that have moved up from from our team to the race team so yeah it's, it's working really well we've got a good working relationship with the race team now and yeah it, it's it's a really good place i think yeah and I've, I've always said because i've had a come um, at different racing drivers and different disciplines on the podcast and i've always said there needs to be a in football you know like you've got the academy and they, they they have them and they they you know they look after them and they bring them up into the into the main team in football but there didn't seem to be like something that for that in F1, but it seems like what you guys are doing is, is, is there and it seems like it's on the right step to being that almost, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it has grown into that. Originally, it was, um, it was just a demo team in, in the Renault days, used for marketing, promotion, things like that. Um, and it's steadily grown and become, you know, a place for the academy drivers to to really sort of get that experience. And then as we've, as we've developed it and developed the team, it is the perfect place to give people that grounding. Um, and it is really good when, when the guys go racing, whether it be a mechanic or a driver or engineer or whatever the position might be, they'll feel a lot more comfortable going into racing, having have that time in not quite so pressured environment. We obviously have to have the pressure side, but it's not like a race weekend you know, where they need to be on it from the word go. Here they have that time to be able to, to learn and, and to teach others. And yeah, we have a, we have a really good work ethic with everyone excuse me uh where everybody helps everyone and everyone teaches everyone so we we try and bring that knowledge up with everybody all together and i think it works really well that way oh definitely and but you didn't just wake up in this this position mark did you so there was a there was there was a journey behind it and uh, like i said i like to find out that journey in the podcast so what is your history where did you start in the industry what were you and i want to go back to school so maybe if you you know what were the things you were told you could do in school and how did you get a job in in being mechanic or being in motorsport in the first place? It's okay to talk, right? Well, Tacona is a brand that's changing mental health awareness. I have always been one that's found it hard to talk and that my feelings, well, they weren't exactly best spoken. Once I found Tacona and learned more about what Lewis does, I was amazed that a clothing brand is making people aware just with one simple logo. If you see a Tacona t-shirt, a shirt, a cap, a hat, a sticker, whatever it is, you know that person knows. It's okay to talk. And because they want to help spread the message, Tacona is giving us 10% off. If you listen to this podcast, in the show notes below will be a link to the website. And if you use code Ignition10, you get 10% off store-wide products. So enjoy and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, it was a few years ago now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so it, it really started, I think my first... My first view of motorsport and cars was through my uncle. Uh, he was in F1 in the 80s. Um, he worked for Arrows and Leighton House, and he's, he'd been in it for many years. When I was very small, obviously, you don't really see it, but as you get older, and I spent a lot of time at my grands, and we were always watching it on a Sunday afternoon. We'd watch the race, and that was my first look at motorsport. But at that time, it seemed it did seem like a bit of an unachievable goal. It was like, wow, you know, my uncle does this, but... I've no idea how you do that. So, you know, my passion was cars and, th- and things like that. So I knew I kind of wanted to be a mechanic. So for me, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go and get qualified for that. That was, mm. you know, I always enjoyed helping my dad and just generally 
tinkering about with engines and things like that when I was you know, 16, 17 and motorbikes and all the things that you sort of normally do when you're that age. Um, so my first my first role was a, a, actually a HGV fitter. Um, so I became a fully qualified mechanic there. But it didn't really it didn't really sort of thrill or excite me in any way. And then a friend of mine who was uh, another apprentice that I was working with said, oh, he knew a, a company that was looking for some race mechanics for a weekend, weekend work. And they said they were open to new guys coming in. So he said, if you want to have a have a chat, maybe there's some weekend work there. So I thought, oh, you know, this would be good. So I went out over there. This was a place in Wellingborough. Went to have a chat with him and they said, yeah, we're looking for weekend guys just to help out the circuit, general duties, you know, tire cleaning, polishing, just generally helping out. So I was like, absolutely. And then um, they shared the building with another company and I was having a, a bit of a nose around the other company because they had some cars there as well. And, you know, they were friends. So, we, you know, let me in the other side. Uh, and the boss there said to me, yeah, we're looking for mechanics as well. You, you're open to a full-time job. So I was like, wow, okay, you know, yeah, what do I have to do? And he said, well, you know, come and work for me for a week. He said, I'm not going to pay you or anything like that, but come and do for a week and we'll see how you get on. And at the end of the week, if you're good enough, then we'll give you a job. Mm. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so went back to work, booked a week off on holiday, <laughs> went to work for him for a week. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the week, yeah, he said, right, that's, you know, you can have a job. So um, I started that. That was Formula 600, it was called then. It was a small little space frame chassis with a CBR fireblade engine in, a 600 engine. And we were building all the cars for the championship. So, yeah. you know, and it, it was great. I loved it. It was, yeah, I really enjoyed it from day one. That was, you know, I thought, okay, this is where I want to be. And I'd still been yet to go to a circuit. So, <laughs> but uh, once we built the cars, then uh, some of the privateers that had bought them obviously said, yeah, would you come and, help us run the car for the weekend I was like yep yeah, yeah no problem you know we'll come and give you a hand so I started helping out these younger guys and the guys that bought the cars just general duties and things like that and it sort of took off from there so that was that was my first real entry into motorsport um but I absolutely loved it you know as soon as you got to the circuit and just just the general adrenaline the excitement of it you know um trying to trying to push with these drivers and you know get them better and yeah it was it was really good i really enjoyed that yeah um, because you were surrounded at that point by you know people that have been in the industry for quite a while it must have been quite nice to you know learn off them and then see what they were doing absolutely yeah yeah and you know we were all kind of new guys there so some people have going got one or two years experience some have got none like myself you know at the mm -hmm. time and it, it was a real mix and we were kind of learning together but there was only i think five or six of us that were building the cars i think if i remember rightly so you know we had a close-knit team that were, were building the cars together um yeah it, it's it's one of those things where people were open to start teaching you as long as you were willing to learn and you were willing to you know, eyes open and ears open and <laughs> mouth shut kind of thing <laughs> and uh just learn and, and you know absorb everything that they're willing to teach you at that point they're kind of more than happy to do it so yeah, it, it was great. That first, the first run into motorsport was was really good. So those, those fireblade times, then that was the what would that be the equivalent of now? Would that be F three or four? No, it was um, well, it was just a, a one make formula. So I guess it would be like entry level club sport type thing. It was aimed no, at um, <laughs> you, you know young drivers at first first foray into motorsport that kind of, that area. Um, you know, you were way down on the list on the. Um, 
on the running list in the circuit. You were the support races. <laughs> so like the um, sort of like um, yeah. So it was it was a good place. I guess, I guess it's like the um, you know, if you leave karting and those are sort of things you jump into afterwards. Maybe from the thing of a race driver. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And they they built the championship to for that reason. The budgets were supposed to be kept low, kept to mm-hmm. a minimum. Um, you know, and make it an entry level place for people to come into motorsport you know young drivers and things like that. You say step up from karting that wanted to go that single seater route originally it was a hill climb car that they converted to a circuit car so the the, the company the jedi that was it was uh making hill climb cars and they they did a circuit championship with it and so yeah um that was really good unfortunately it came to a, a grinding halt we came in one morning and the factory had been shut and there was a little envelope in our toolboxes with a bit of cash saying, here's what I owe you. We've closed. <laughs> oh, well, I can't, yeah, that can't, <laughs> can't be great, can we? <laughs> we have to work no, uh, around. Yeah, so we, we came in on the Monday morning and I was like, oh, okay, right, that's it, we're done, <laughs> finished. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, so that was a bit of a wake-up for motors as well because I think that those days it, it, it kind of happened a lot with you know closing down and starting up and and people moving on but yeah so that was a bit of a a bit of a shock to finish it yeah. so what do you do after that if you, you know you walk into work and your your job's been effectively just been you know no 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 no, no it's just been dropped so obviously you're in f1 now but you didn't how, how did you get did you want to did you ever drive to get there was there any opportunities that opened up for you what was the plan after that yeah absolutely i mean when we first went out, we just went to the pub. <laughs> that was the first thing to go like, what? To the cash. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. Got the cash, went to the pub, and thought, right, what are we doing now? You know, what, what's next? Um, so after that, I, I went back to um, I went back to mechanics for a bit um, as, as a normal garage, there where I'd completed my apprenticeship. We're looking for people, and I went back there for a little bit, but it just it just wasn't exciting. I knew then, you know, it just wasn't for me. I needed to be in motorsport because that's where mm. I enjoyed myself. You know, that was, but at the time you think, well, how do I, how do I get it? And, you know, the F1 thing, you know, was always there in my mind and what I wanted to do, but I had no idea how I was going to get from where I was right now to, to there. So, um, and then at the time, uh, Formula Palm Rowdy opened up in Bedford. They started the championship and were looking for mechanics. So I applied there got the job there and you know had a good couple of the couple of years there and that was that was sort of stepping up a little bit in in motorsport you're going from that real club sport area to now we were a big team we had 28 or 30 cars we had there and you'd be in a team of four cars each having a number one over the the four cars and then number two on each car um and they, they, they were great days you kind of you know really get involved there was like 30 of us that used to travel together on the bus to the circuits the whole team um hard days building them you know, getting them there was a lot of hours <laughs> a lot of hours put in when we first started that championship 30 cars to build and, and not much time to do it yeah. in. so but yeah it is um went from there um did a couple of years there but i knew i wanted to sort of step up and, and make that next move and, and try and find it so you always come got an eye on what's going on and in those days all sport magazine used to have the job section in the back and that was between that and phone calls was where you you kept mm. your eye <laughs> kept looking for jobs so after that i went and did uh formula four championship you think of the formula four championship um you know went to sort of at the time formula four was quite big they, they had the big festival formula four festival and, and races and it was a real 
it was a real starting place for um, young drivers at the time. That didn't work out too well with the team, you know, a um, bit of a cross personalities with the team manager at the time, so that didn't last too long. But um, the, the next one was uh, a job came up in Historics um, for a company called RW Racing, and I went to work for them, um, and that was fantastic. We, we had all sorts of cars. We had an Alpha T33, some Chevrons, a Chevron B26, I think it was, and a B28, if I remember rightly. Um, so really old historic cars and all sorts of cars. And we'd, we'd build service, run them, and yeah, that was really good. But I, kind of, I knew where I wanted to be, uh, yeah. and I still had my eye on F1, but I just wasn't sure. And at the time, I was speaking to someone from Reynard, Reynard Cars, as it was back in the day. And he said, well, look, he said, if you want to go into top form, you really need to either do sports cars or a higher single-seater championship. That's where you need to be aiming for, not historics. As much as you might be enjoying it, this is not really the route, route in. This is where you need to be. So you, you have a think. And then a, a job came up there, and he said, look, we've got a winter build contract because they, we used to do a winter build from sort of October, November time to January um, doing updates for Champ Cars and Formula Nippon, as it was at the time. And he said, do you want to come and come and try out here for the winter? You see how you get on. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll come and do that. And at the time, motorsport was very, I mean, it is still a, a small community now. But I remember back in the day, it was a very small community. And, you know, everybody knew everybody <laughs> from the circuits. You know, work with someone, you know, it was a couple of phone calls. And this was how everyone found jobs and found work. Um, yeah, so I went to there for the winter build. Um, excuse me one second. And we were building um, updates for the champ cars, Formula Nippons and gearboxes there as well. Um, and then at the end of the contract, there was, he said, oh, we've got a couple more months work for you if you want. We've got some more gearboxes to update, build and send out to the US. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I hadn't got anything else pending at the time. Yeah. So... I took that contract and that was when I first really got into gearboxes and transmission side, um, building them and on the dyno and then packaging them up, sending them to the US. And I got on really well there, really enjoyed it, but it was only a winter contract and you, you come to the point of, right, now what's next? <laughs> and at the time, at the time, um, MG were looking to get back into Le Mans uh, and there was a, a team, Chamberlain Motorsport, were looking to get into... Uh, back into uh, uh, Le Mans with MG. The Le Mans project was was, was huge. Coming from uh, club sport to that kind of level is is, is a big jump at that time. Um, but I absolutely loved it. And, you know, we came back. It was uh, at the time with Le Mans, there was the LMP 900s, which was the top class. And we were entering in the LMP 675, which yeah. was a smaller, lighter weight car. But the theory was we could actually go longer uh, on fuel, between fuel stops and be a bit easier on tyres. So over the full 24-hour distance, the theory was we should be somewhere near the, the top guys who were having to stop every, I think it was every 45 minutes for fuel and tyres at the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, went and did the Le Mans contract and that was amazing. I'll never forget the first time for, for Le Mans. Uh, it's a whole week experience and you have the qualifying in the town in the week and then... Um, come to race day 
you push all the cars onto the grid for a big photo shoot and i'll never forget pushing those cars on the grid and just the crowd just going absolutely nuts for the mg return and things like this and they were they were cheering everything but when you when you push the cars on the grid and the cheer goes up and you just think wow this is amazing it was awesome you know, to, to to be there and just thinking wow you know i'm a part of this this is awesome Unfortunately, both cars didn't finish. <laughs> we had engine problems, but you know that's Le Mans for you. <laughs> Wouldn't be Le Mans engine problems, no. <laughs> exactly, yeah, um, yeah. So disappointing finish, but um, yeah, it, it was it was a great start, and you know doing Le Mans and things like that was just yeah, it, it was awesome. Especially compared to the championships that I'd done before, it was a big step up and a, a massive event as as Le Mans yeah. is. It's one of the best in the world, I think. So did you move straight from F one? After the monitor, was there a, was there a bit of breathing room in between there? No. Uh, so let me think. Uh, after that, I went to work with Lola, Lola Cars. Um, that again, you know, did a winter winter build and updates for the cars that they had. So did that did that winter build contract, and then for two thousand, where are we now? Two thousand two, uh, I joined Team Ascari, mm. who. Uh, having a Le Mans contract so I'm not quite sure what the rules and regs are nowadays but the rules in those days was you had to do qualifying races to get your Le Mans entry um, so we went and did Daytona 24 hour and the Sebring 12 hour to get that entry with the ACO into into Le Mans um, so when I started doing that kind of thing yeah, that was amazing those big races sports cars so you loved it but you know I still had my eye on F1 but you're never quite sure. I was still a, at the time I was applying for teams and things like yeah. that, but getting knocked back constantly, but just but from not enough experience, you, whatever the reason might be. And, you know, you're still trying to get those connections and find someone in a team or, as I said, people knew everybody. So you, you're trying to find someone who knew, <laughs> knew someone yeah, in a yeah. team that could get, get your CV to the right place. And <laughs> you're trying, trying all those sort of little tricks to, just push yourself in really um but um yeah so we did uh where are we now so we did they did them on with ascari um you know which was awesome you know uh again unfortunately we didn't finish we only had one car entry in that in that year um and didn't finish uh, suspension problems and it crashed out unfortunately and the rules with Le Mans is that the driver has to be able to get the car or at the time the driver had to be able to get the car back um without help from the mechanics no so we'd taken the scooters over to the other side of the the circuit where he was crashed directing him to get the bodywork because we used to have a little toolkit just very basic tools things like that that you might be able to do something with some tape and cable ties <laughs> if if needed so we're trying to sort of direct him to you know take the cover off and let's have a look and see what we can see but yeah it was all, um, all suspension failed so yeah that was a that was a finish of that another well, another Le Mans another non-finish yeah no I was going to say because does it ever get disheartening I mean within that point you, you you put your heart and soul into these cars and all of a sudden you know it gets to the point where it's just like you know the car is no, never actually gets there or not yeah, it's hugely disappointing. Hugely disappointing. You have any motorsport is this absolute roller coaster of emotions. You you can be on top one day, you know, absolute heroes and having a great time, and the very next, very next time it can just end in disaster. And you put months and months and you know a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the project from from the right from the word go, and then yeah, not to finish. And I can't remember how many hours it was in. It was only about four or five hours, and the rear suspension failed. But yeah. You know, it's just one of those moments you just think, you know, this is, 
you know, you're really down and there's, there's not much you can do apart from, you know, we went to the fairground for a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a couple of beers and drowned your sorrows, but it, it, it's motorsport. That is, that is part of motorsport, the highs and lows, kind of the attraction, if you like, you know, you, yeah. you never know what's going to happen, you know, lap to lap or, or minute to minute, whenever the car's on track, you know, anything can happen at any time, you know. Um, yeah, and that's part of, part of I think the enjoyment, the adrenaline side of it, you know. Um, aside from pit stops and things like that, which are <laughs> Hectic. probably the ultimate adrenaline rush. <laughs> that's the thing. That, again, what I try to do with this podcast is to really show you that you know, you've got to this point where you know, you're at Le Mans. You know, it's one of the one of the biggest races in the world. And um, for you, like, you look at you know where you've come now and the position you have now. For those that you know are young and want to get into it. Obviously, you know, what I've learned from speaking to mechanics is like, you know, experience is key. It's a must. You know, you have to be, yeah. you have to, you know, you have to know someone or you have to get into the, you have to get into, you know, working in a smaller team to work your way up. But I mean, for you, like now, Mark, I mean, like youngsters come into the you know, support team and you're looking yeah. at, you know, what they've got and what, what do they need? I mean, what would you need to get into the support team for, for an Alpine? What would be the, the suggestion that the, the CV, what would that have to look like? So we take we, we've taken people from various kind of levels. Um, mm. You know, it's not always. I, I find the interview is one of the biggest key factors because we are looking for people that aren't in F one. Then that we're looking yeah. to teach them and get them up. So that none of them really got the experience that you need at that point because it, so it's, it's a lot about personality, how you get on with them, your willingness to sort of learn. And you can tell from the CV, some of the guys have, have volunteered and, and made that push and you can see where they put the effort in and you think, okay, you know, this is, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a chance on you and, and see and see what happens, you know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think, I think definitely doing the side of, of going to your local circuit, volunteering, and even if it is, washing wheels and you know polishing bodywork and, and things like that and you're not actually working on the car it shows that kind of push that drive those aptitudes you want to see that kind of i'll do what i need to do to get there do you, do you see yeah. what i mean um you know and then when you sit and chat with people you can you can get a good a good feel for how they are really at that point with teams interviews and things like that it's not ideal you know um i think it's harder to have a good chat with someone on, on, a, on a screen from an interview point of view um yeah yeah but for the young guys coming in i would say you know, try and get as much experience as you can under your belt you know the junior formulas are are still great you know they still give you awesome experience they still you still experience that traveling that workload you know all the things that you kind of need to get your head around because for some people your idea of motorsport is awesome until they actually have to do it and they're there at midnight <laughs> still working and then all of a sudden the, the appeal disappears <laughs> um and we've had some people you know, that it just doesn't suit you know and it, despite their their best intentions and things it just doesn't work out and it, it's not for them you know, it, it's it is a lifestyle and i think you have to understand that when you come into it, it it's not something it's not a job yeah. that you can just dip in and out of it is you've got to be passionate about it you've got to really want it and it, like i say it, it's going to be your lifestyle for, <laughs> for the near future um you know and it, it does have an effect any traveling job anybody that travels and travels a lot will tell you it's quite hard on you know family life and yeah. relationships and, and, and the personal side of it it is it is hard but it's, it's what you want and the kind of rewards are there 
if you want them, if, if that makes sense. Um, for, don't me, I'm asking Mark, what, what the what has been the hard parts? But you're, you know, you, you, when it comes to your family life, what, what have you had to deal with? Just just an example for people who may be listening want to know. I mean, definitely the point where we had kids. That's um, it always creates a little bit of a, a pressure. You know, we um, so my first my firstborn, I had the paternity leave. I had two weeks off. Uh, and then flew straight out to the next race after the two weeks. That it doesn't go down <laughs> too well. I mean, you know, my missus, uh, we met when when I was travelling, so she was well aware of the job, you yeah. know. Um, but it does create pressure, especially when they're on their own looking after children and, and you're away and, you know, sometimes I think you're just, just out partying and having a great time and forget the work side of it. <laughs> but definitely, even in the younger days when... You you do miss a lot from friends and events and you know friends have you know message and phone you up and say oh you you're about on this weekend we're all doing this yeah. or we're going out and I'm away I'm away you know and you get this constant oh well, when are you back you know I'll, I'll just give you a text when I'm back kind of thing um, yeah and you do kind of I don't know it's trying to find that balance I think it, it, it's mm. it's easy to kind of make a mistake and you know. At the end of the day, divorce rate and the, the split rate is, is quite high where people don't find the balance. You know, yeah. um, you need an understanding wife. <laughs> yeah. Or one that doesn't like um, you that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm only <laughs> or likes you being away. But that's the other side, you know. We've had people that have, have travelled for many years and then all of yeah. a sudden they stop travelling and the missus is like, well, hang on a minute. I'll do my own thing now. <laughs> I'm not used to you being home. They get their own routine going, you know. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's one of those, motorsport is one of those things, you know, it's, it's like you say, it's fantasized by many people and because and not a lot of people do it. So there's not a lot of people going around. It's not like you become a mechanic. It just in a, in a, in a garage. It's not, it's not one of those jobs. It can, it can seem quite you know, glorified. And I'm interested in for you, for Mark, what are the conversations that you need to have with, you know, those people to get into those positions? You know, you mentioned like it being one of those, we need to know people. Like if I'm leaving university, you know, maybe I've done some, team like you say you've I've done so I've washed some wheels I've I've worked for a local club sport team who do I need to know well um I think some, some sometimes people forget that even the junior teams um mm. have had people come from F1 or sports cars and back into the junior teams we we still get people recommendations now when people phone up and say oh you know I've got this mechanic working for me he's he's a great guy you know yeah. if you're looking for anybody he really wants to move on and you're kind of oh, okay you know and then and you've got the CV and you've got that recommendation coming from it. Um, and it is still a small environment. In, and we do get, within a couple of phone calls, you can normally find somebody that's worked with them at some point and to say, oh, yeah, he's a really good lad or or, or the other way to say, well, maybe not yet, you know. Um, but I think you don't underestimate the smaller teams and <clears throat> getting that experience on that side and working your way up from from club sport and things like that and nowadays you know, you've got things like linkedin which is you know I, I, people message me through linkedin directly they find on there which you know if there's opportunities at the time then it, it works if not it, unfortunately it just goes on file for for when we do look for somebody you know it's not always there but i think just having that clear focus and drive and just looking for every opportunity that's the thing yeah. if if you sit back and think well you know, I'm waiting for someone to give me a call and offer me a job. It's not going to happen. But if you, if you're constantly pushing, looking for those opportunities, whether it be a weekend work or, or you know, a, 
a university placement or whatever it might be, an internship, anything you can get to get that experience. We've, we've had guys on interns um, that have then gone on to full-time jobs straight afterwards because they've they've proved themselves, they've performed and they've done it. And, it, you know, it is hard if if you don't know anyone and you're completely out of that world to, to try and try and get in. Um, but I would say I would say just start looking for the local circuits and, and just offering help, help. That's that's the first point. If you're completely new to motorsport and you and you want to get in, um, because the other thing is you might not like it <laughs> yeah. when you in long days and you know and the hard work and you know and the pressure side of it, it's not for everyone. But you need to try it, I guess, to to experience that when whether you move on. But yeah, I would say definitely have a clear focus goal. The kind of there is no set path to say right as a mechanic this is what you need to do to get into this team, this team, this team, and then you'll be in F1. It doesn't work like that. You know, people have come to us from all different routes and paths and things like that. Um, yeah, it's just keeping on and not taking no. I was rejected by 10, 15 times before I got an interview in, in Formula One. And if you take that rejection and just think <clears throat> it's not going to happen, yeah, that's it uh, you know they've rejected me again you've just got to want it and keep going and it's a bit of a cliche to say you know have your vision have your goal and keep going but it is it's it's that drive and determination to, to keep going and opportunities will open up if you're looking for them and you're you're open to them at the time <laughs> yeah and one of those things though like if you you get to where you are because you, know, you don't there's so many different factors that someone's dropped out or you know, maybe the, the person they wanted did, couldn't do it. Or as I said, you know, I think it's really important to remember that if, you know, that you've got, you've got, you've got to keep that belief, you know, you will get there regardless of, of how long it was going to take. Yeah. And, you know, on another note on that, when, when you do write your CV and you are putting your CV in, you, you know, you've got to make sure that it, it stands out and it, it suits the job. You know, I've had CVs turn up, which have, still had all the details from the previous job they've applied for and they haven't even changed <laughs> changed the title or, or anything like yeah. that and you just think well yeah you just haven't put any effort into this you know what are you going to do on the job side and it's that first initial point of contact you know when, when we have a job go out when we have a, an availability a position hr are inundated and they they do the first round of um trimming down to probably around 30 cvs and trim off all, all the other ones and it's got to stand out for them and, and hit those yeah. you, you you're selling yourself aren't you you know and some cvs just just don't just don't do it you know you can see they're applying for jobs but you haven't given me a reason to interview you if you like you tell me why you're suitable for this job and a lot of the time it's not necessarily oh, i've done this and i've done this and i've done this you know a paragraph at the top of the CV stating, right, I'm suitable for this job because of, you know, I've done this, this is, um, and it is hard when you, when you, when you haven't got that much experience to try and, you know, uh, build it up into, but you don't always ne necessarily need the experience to kind of put on there the qualities that you've got and what you want to do, you know, um, because like I say it gets narrowed down to 30 and then 30 CVs will come to me and then, I'll sift through 30 CVs and going through that many and, and trying to pick out the maybe six or seven that stand out before you then narrow those down to interviews. Yeah. You need something to, 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 to stand you out from the crowd, if you like, you know, and, and make sure so, that you've, sorry, sorry I was just going to say, make sure that you've actually 
read through your CV and it doesn't have all the details from the previous job on it. Make sure you like change, change the, uh, the previous employer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you go into the next one. Yeah. I mean, you laugh, but you just think you've, you've applied for a job and you've put literally no effort into this at all. It's just, it's one of the, it's that first point, that first point of contact. <laughs> yeah, and I guess age, does age matter? I know it's a, uh, it's a to, so for some people, I guess being I had a guy on the podcast. So I think he was in his mid to late twenties, and he just mm. he was he was a bus driver. Then he decided actually I quite like to be a race mechanic. And he's, he's got he's got himself to Aston Martin, and I just think that's great because he's not taking his age as a factor. And I think does, does it really matter how old you are? Is there a so oh, clearly a certain limit? If you're losing mobility in limbs, I wouldn't. Recommend, <laughs> I mean, but, no, I mean yeah, absolutely, a, yeah. That- that's probably too late to start then. <laughs> um, no, not really, not really. It, obviously, if you're too young and you've had no experience, you can still be on the quite immature side. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. There are there are 18, 19-year-olds that you would think act like they're 24, 25. Yeah. And then you get others that still act like they're 15, 16, you know. And that, it, it's that there isn't an age limit. It's more about personality, you mm. know. Um, obviously you do get to a point where people are settled down and, you know, had families and, you know, bizarrely, we, we've had interviews before where you, you, you go through the calendar and, and say the events. And the first question is, well, that, that's quite a lot of traveling, you know, uh, I was hoping to, you know, join the football team or join the rugby team. And, and this is going to affect my weekends. You're playing rugby and you think, I'm not sure why you're, why you're here. <laughs> it's, um. But yeah, from an age point of view, I, I definitely think it is on a younger man's sport on that side of things. Mm. Um, but I don't think that it, it necessarily impacts either way. I think from when you get older, you know, um, it is harder. There's no doubt, I don't think, because you, you've got a lot of applicants that are younger. So you do, you have to really stand out if you're the older side, if you see what I mean. Um but, you know, we, we'll look at anybody for that side of things as long as they're willing to, to put the effort in and, and do it. And, yeah, yeah. But like you say, it, it's it's quite a physical job as well. So you've got that physical side and, you know, you need to be physically fit and, and able, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, that age is not something I look at on a CV. It, yeah, it, it's more about... <laughs> It seems, it seems like it is very much very much about attitude and, and how you apply yourself to anything else. If, if, if anything I've got from listening to you speak about it, you know, you can be you can be 22 and, you know, whatever, you have a poor attitude, you can be 35 and you have all, all the experience of the world and the great attitude doesn't really matter, does it? That, that comes out in, in any team environment, you know, a big part of it is getting on with the team and the personalities and being <laughs> able to work individually and as a team. So, um, you know, and dealing with the pressure as well um, because there is no doubt that you know when you get up into an F1 race there's a lot of pressure you know and it's not only when you th- sit and think about it it's not only the the team that you're there with at the time and the drivers you've then got you know all the people at the factories whether you know for us that's that's Fury or Enstone the 900 odd people that work there then you've got all the fans and all the people watching on TV if you make a mistake you're in front of X amount of million viewers that are about to watch you make, make a mistake, you know, and for some people that people don't deal with that pressure. Well, you yeah. know? And, um, I think that, you know, going through the younger formulas, the junior formulas and building up and you start to sort of, you get a bit more appreciation when you come in sometimes to that level early, it can be a little bit too early and a little bit too daunting. So there's that side, but again, it's just down to maturity of the person and the personality. 
Yeah. Um, and Mark, we know we, I spoke, we've spoken quite a lot about, you know, what it takes to get into the sport. But as, you know, I'm oh, quite interested for you now, what, is there any next moves? Like, are you happy where you are? Are you looking to develop your job role now? Or where are you looking to go? Or are you looking to just, you know, be more, be more of what you're doing now? At the moment, I'm sort of looking to more uh, management training. I, mean, I love what I do at the moment, you know. Um, you know, I'm in a really good place. I, I love the team I work for. I love the people around me. We've got a great crew of people. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a really satisfying job at the moment. Yeah. And, and we've had a lot of people move on to the race team. And you know, when those reports come back, yes, they're good. They're hardworking. They know yeah. what they're doing. You know, we know that we've, we've trained them to that point, And it's... Yeah, it's really satisfying to then see them go on to the race team and in, ready to go as well. You know, they go to a race weekend to help out or you replace someone that might not be there for whatever reason and they drop straight into the team and they're ready to go. And you know that we've done our job, they've done their job and it's all great. But for me, um, yeah, I'm still I'm still looking to improve myself and, and get training and the next step I think is that management side and management training. Um, but who knows what opportunities come up at the moment i'm you know you're never really looking but there's always there's always things on the horizon you know that you never know what might happen um but yeah i'm i'm, I'm pretty happy and content where i am at the minute and we'll, we'll see what happens motorsport can be a fickle business with the teams in and out you know and we've ourselves have changed name yeah. <laughs> four or five times and uh, owned different people so you're never quite sure what's around the corner but alpine have got a you know good investment and they've a good solid plan for for years to come so i'm hoping that that'll all that'll all stay together but yeah you know you're always trying to develop and and, and better yourself in some ways you know and whether that's you know, learning new procedures or you know the support team we're allowed to run a car that's two years old so yeah. as those years roll on we get the newer car two years behind the race team so at the moment we're still running the 2021 car come this winter we'll be rebuilding and getting onto ground at the 22 car that was then so that's a whole new whole new project for us to to get that up and running you know get that back up to speed and and use that for next year so yeah there's always challenges nothing ever stays the same you know um every day is different when i go in or what challenges might await so you know i enjoy that side of it um as well but yeah you're you're always trying to develop yourself i think even from from when I first started, you know, my first job in F1 was in gearboxes, um, and that, that was where you know, I got in. And I've wanted to develop and push myself since since I started with that, really. You know. Yeah, that's the main thing. Wanting to develop and push yourself—that's that's what you really need in a job, isn't it? I think yeah. carry those two characteristics. Most people will go, you know, as the person that's looking to you know, better themselves, therefore they'll better better the people around them. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, and the company's really, really positive with that side of things and really supportive as well. So there, there's always training to be offered and, you know, uh, opportunities to to take that training if you want it. You've got to push for it and, and go for it, but it's there if you if you want to do it. So, yeah, I, I think that, that side of it's really supportive as well from from the team. Um, Mark, we're getting to the point of the podcast now where there's sort of like five quick questions I ask at the end. And the first one of those is... What was your ultimate three-car garage? So three-car. Uh, three <laughs> I think my ultimate garage would be a lot more than three cars, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I, I think, well, I've always wanted to build a Cobra, uh, a V8 okay. Cobra. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's always on my on my sideline. And, uh, <laughs> that I'm trying to, 
Yeah, keep it in the back pocket. Maybe a retirement project, maybe. But my ultimate garage would have that finished. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. All, all done, ready. So, yeah, I think that one. Um, classic classic Ferrari 35 has always been on top of my list. Nice. I've, I've loved yeah. those, you know. Um, there are probably newer and better ones, but I think that's my era. That <laughs> 355 is awesome. And then, let me think. I think that, that yeah, maybe something crazy like the Porsche Porsche Spider or something, a nine one eight or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something something outrageous. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think that would be a start. I, I think I think there would be a lot of others <laughs> if, if it was my my garage, but yeah, some uh, high performance and cars to play with. Yeah, there's always one thing people people, people pick you know, what comes to mind. I think it says a lot about a person what, what three cars they're picking. It's, there's a nice eclectic range of cars there. There's a bit of something for everyone. The one that I built myself. That's... <laughs> Not many people say that. Many people just want to want to buy a car, but I think it's nice. It's nice that you you, you spent a living you spent a living or you know one building cars. It's only right that you've built your own car. It's, it's in there. Yeah, yeah. It's still a passion. It's still a passion. I still love cars. You know, it's still something that gets me going. So yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> The next question is, Mark, then, if you got one car to drive on any road or track, where would you go and what would you take? Oh, on any road or track? Um, oh, let me see. I, I mean, I guess something like the, the ring, the Nürburgring would be, uh, you know, the track to drive it. And any car, I'm not sure. Probably a 918 Spider. That. <laughs> that, that would be a good combo for me. I'd be happy with that, yeah. Sounds like a yeah. bit of a one-way trip. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sounds like an expensive trip. I don't know about anything else. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's so many iconic circuits around the world. It's, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I've been lucky enough to to visit most of them. To be fair, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I think there's there'll be a long list. I think for to do all the circuits I'd want to drive at. But yeah, the rings a, a good classic, isn't it? And and free to drive now. You just pay your money and off you go. <laughs> well, I think it's great. I think if, you, if you're even remotely into cars, going there at least once in your life is, is one of those things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit, um, when it's busy days, it, uh, it's quite intimidating on there, I think, with everything going around you. But yeah, yeah. To have that to myself, pri- private day. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. And then the next question, Mark, then, and again, this podcast is to show people what's possible. And I think it's, it's a great question to ask because it, you know, it kind of takes away, you know, all the fear and doubt you have as just a human being. So the question is, if you could do anything, money wasn't an object, what would you do for a living? Do you know what? I still think it would be in, in motorsport and cars. I think yeah. if, if, if money wasn't an object, I think I'd build in sort of one-off, one-off specials, um, customer cars, things like that, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> it's probably a bit sad to say that I'd do the same as what I'm doing now, but you know, that would be, yeah, I think if money was an object and you could just tinker along, build the cars you wanted, you know, um, for whatever customers, yeah, one off specials, I think would be, yeah. would be the way. <laughs> it's for people that just want to tinker with their hands, then, you know, being able to create something, call it your own, and then people want to, and also finding people that want to have it off you as well, like they appreciate what we've done there. I think it's a great, it's why I guess um, those Netflix yeah. series about, you know, rusted classics being turned into uh, show cars and so it's so evocative yeah you know the american laws are slightly more relaxed i think on uh mot standards and things like that from our side but yeah yeah to do something like that, you know I, I love i love the challenge of when you used to get you know going back to the historic days we used to have cars turn up in a series of boxes and a chassis and i, I put that together i'd like to run that so later this year you know and that sort of challenge of 
starting from scratch you're trying to find all the bits and make bits that you can't get anymore and yeah all the fabrication you know yeah there's nothing quite like it when you see a car that you've put a lot of time and effort into building hit the track for the first time it's quite a special feeling the next question is what is the advice that you'd give to a younger you or someone that wants to do something with their passion i think just just keep going f1 despite having this kind of um almost pedestal reputation we're still normal people they're still normal guys they're still you know there's nothing there's a lot of drive passion and energy but at the end of the day they are still normal people and they still all go home to their families and do the normal stuff it, it is achievable if you just keep keep focus keep your head down and you know and put the effort in and, and when the opportunities do come up you grab them with both hands and and put everything into them you know um as i said you know motorsport is still a small world and i think you will get those opportunities. Someone will know someone eventually. <laughs> it might not be this first job. It might not be the second job. But if you just keep focused and, you know, keep doing the work, it, it will happen for you, whichever route you want to take. And, um, yeah, and, you know, F1 is amazing. It is the pinnacle of the motorsport. You know, there aren't that many teams around. But, you know, there's, there's always a lot of job opportunities opening up. And it, it's not necessarily... Maybe for the younger guys to not be fixated on mechanics. There are so many roles within F1 now, you know, so many opportunities, whether, you know, that be on the, on the drawing designer side or, you know, the engineering or performance or, you know, even to the point of gym instructor, you know, the, the physios and all that we have for the drivers. There's there's so many different opportunities. If, if mechanics isn't your thing, you find another route, find another way. But yeah, I think for the younger guys, yeah, just keep going. We all we all got here one way or another. <laughs> There's no, there is no set path to take. You take your own path, enjoy it, um, and just keep focused on the end goal. And eventually, it will it will come to you. If you want it bad enough, you'll put you eventually find the right place and, and be in the right place. That's so, great advice. Yeah. And then the fifth and final question is, Mark, what do you love most about cars? noise yeah <laughs> engines that is that's all, all day long there's nothing quite like the sound of a um yeah either well the, the, the v10s or the v8s in back in the day your turbo cars of today are a little bit quieter but uh still have their own own note but yeah it, it's the the noise and energy you know um when you hear uh when you when you hear that, those, those engines screaming back in the day or now that's that's the passion for me i think but um yeah yeah i think that's it it's the noise that i love yeah. on a on, on a more mature note probably the engineering side of it <laughs> you know I love, I love seeing them come together but uh yeah the boy in me is just noise all day long <laughs> no it's brilliant no thank you uh, mark but well, thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure um to you know, learn a bit more about you and your in your journey and, and thank you for your time thank you so much for for having me on and you know hopefully if i've been inspired some a, a younger guy then that would be awesome but just uh yeah keep with your dreams and keep going so no thank you very much perfect there we go that's it we're done brilliant thank you to each and everyone who watches listens and shares this podcast without you and your support we wouldn't have made it into the top 15 best car podcasts to listen to worldwide so if you haven't already please rate the podcast on this app and if you listen to on Apple Podcasts, give her a review and let me know what you think. Again, thank you. And without your continued support, I wouldn't still be doing this.